You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, and Guzzi, what you eating? Egg sandwich. I'm starving. I haven't eaten today. An uh, egg salad sandwich. Not egg salad, an egg sandwich. Egg, egg bacon. Egg. And- oh, okay. I'm like, egg sandwich. Yeah, it, it was looking real egg salady, but I guess it is just. No, egg. it's got like avocados and you know I oh, like okay. shit, not like healthy shit. You know, don't judge me. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I mean, shoes. That's probably what our body wants, so I can't judge you. I'm gonna sit up here putting all this uh, E. coli in my in my. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying some shit. I'm like, I was <laughs> right, breaking fluid or something. I don't know what I'd be eating oh, wow, sometimes. Wow, wow. I mean, shit. Red blow damn near would strip your whole insides if you. <laughs> That's true. And I will, I'll be drinking the fuck out of that. So I know I'm, I'm dead. It's still hot. Your it's, mic it's is hot. still hot. Yeah. My mic, is that hot? Yeah. yeah. It's just like, I don't know. Well, I don't know how to make it not hot. I think that's good, but it's like, I think you speaking directly into it is what's making it a little. Well, I mean, I always speak directly into it. Oh, I don't know. It's like staticky. Yeah. It's staticky? It's just, I mean, it's hot. I don't, I don't. It's just too hot. You're yeah. loud. Can you, um. I don't know how to. How do I turn the volume down on it? That's that's good. Right there where you're at is good. Well, I, mean, I just started talking lower. That's all. Okay. I think that that's Okay. That uh, so I just can't be loud. That. So you're just saying I'm loud. It's pretty much I what just, you're saying. It's just what, okay. the, it's what the mic is saying. It, well, let's saying. go, yo. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> all right. It's a brand new episode of All Book presented to you by Broadway Black. We're ready to... No, Kim? No? What are you doing in here? <laughs> Who is that? It was Eric. Why are you going to be all fine like that? Leave Distracting us. Get out of here distracting us, Eric. What do you mean? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they not gonna leave me alone. Oh, because you're in your new house, huh? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that. Hold on. Okay, okay. Here we go. What's going on, everybody? It's a brand new episode of Off Book presented to you by Broadway Black. We're ready to hit our mark and we're ready to do it right now. I am Drew Shade. I'm in With I'm all of the egg salad. <laughs> We got to do it again because and because he has <laughs> all the food. And she's, really she, she was she I was, was a consummate. Shakespeare. I was she really was a consummate. Like, I can do it around, but I yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. No 
other hosts like me. Come check it out. You'll see. All right. It's a brand new episode of Off Book presented to you by Broadway Black. We're ready to hit our mark and we're ready to do it right now. I'm Drew Shade. I'm Ngozi Ayawu. And I'm Kim Exum. We back in the building, y'all. It's so great to be here because we have been busy. Like, I know the industry opened up and people just started going crazy. And we started going crazy, too, trying to do this show as the, the world opened back up and we ain't been doing nothing. Like, our mm-hmm. muscles were not ready to Mm-mm. work and do this show. So we had to take a moment, y'all. Um, and we still getting there. We still revving it back up. We getting into the space of making it happen. And so... I ain't going to take too long. I ain't going to be before y'all too long. I just want to know what's going on with you and, you know, Kim and Guzzy. What's going on with y'all before we get into these hot topics? What's going on? What's popping? How you feeling, Guzzy? We'll start with you. Guzzy, how you feeling? I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling frustrated that I didn't keep track of the fact that my passport is not renewed. It just, it just expired. So I should be on vacation right now. But I'm not because I'm a dum-dum. And I let Did you expire. already pay for the vacation? No, I did not. I was looking at like literally my show was closing. My show closed yesterday. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this I, on Friday, I was like, let's go on Priceline. Let's book something. I went to go get my passports, like get my passport to like put it all in there to go to Mexico. And I was like, oh, that says five days ago. Ooh, you know, they don't be letting you yeah, travel. No expired passport. I was yeah. salty. Yeah, they don't let you nah, travel. I was salty. I was salty. And so I'm so you got it expedited. Yeah, I'm going to expedite. I'm going to take care of that stuff this week. I'm going to, you know, buy a ticket and just go somewhere warm. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt. I'm burnt. Well, you ain't invite me. I want to go too. Shit. I'm going by myself. I'm going by myself. Oh, she said, <laughs> I, and I'm not inviting you. And I'm not. <laughs> I'm with the shits. Okay, that's fine. That's so, That's fine. Yeah, we're closing shows. We're making shows. And I So what show did you start. just close now that we didn't I did see? Sh- I did a show in... Um, Philadelphia called the Garbologists about New York sanitation. Ah, workers. yes, 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 yes. Okay, we did talk about this, but it was in Philly, yes. so that's why we did we didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay, did you enjoy it? I did. I had a good time. It was just hard. I I was a dumb dumb again. I did not pay attention to that schedule. It was a two hander, hundred page two hander, two weeks mm-hmm. of rehearsal before we went into tech. It was too much work. It was too much. Um, mm-hmm. but it was good. It was lovely. Um. It was the first show that Philadelphia Theater Company had done to open up their season. So I felt yeah. like I've been doing back-to-back open-ups, yeah. you know? Um, so it was great to do that, but it was just like, it was just too much. You know, you say yes to things because you're happy to get an offer. I was very honored to get an offer. And so I was like, let me take, you know, let me, and I get to go back home. Right, and, you know, and be with family, like, yeah. Yeah, but my dad got COVID, so I wasn't able to hang out with my family. So, so it was, I was like, what like the fuck? There. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not really just here to just do plays. I'm here like, do plays, hang with community. And I just didn't, I just had to do the play. So, right. Um, but it was lovely. And the, like, you know, Philly really loved it and they had a good time and we had a good time doing it, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready to break. I'm ready to chill. I'm ready to drink a pina colada and take some gummies and I feel that. Out and I come feel back to that. people like in January. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about like you, February, Kim? February, maybe. What about you? What's going um, on with you? You've been, you know, you over there silent. You moved into a new apartment. I'm looking at new walls and stuff. I did. I have, I'm in my walk-in closet. Come on, um, walk-in closet? Y'all. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Um, I'm still in Harlem. I'm actually, like, really close to Jocelyn Bio. so. Oh, okay. So I, I think we're, like, at. I haven't seen her, but I know that we're, like, we're very, we're, like, right around the corner. In the we're same the vicinity. Same, we're in the yeah. same vicinity. So that's cool. Um... But yeah, I moved into a new apartment. Uh, Mormon reopened. 
um, which is great. As he's um, in school. As he's in school, still in school. Um, but yeah, it was cool to reopen Mormon. Cool to uh, get back in the swing of things, even though eight shows a week really is no joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's no joke. It is just no joke. Yeah. Like it's it's I I just it's no joke. So um, plus eight shows a week. Plus, um, you know, I'm waking up early in the morning to take Ezzy to school. And thankfully, like me and Eric, we hand that off to each other. But it's like constant. Like there's really no break. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of sucks. But that's the gig. Um, oh, I got an audition for For Colored Girls. Okay. For, for Colored Girls Broadway. And I yeah, you make sure you say Broadway because it's not the... Uh, not you did Cup for Color Girls on Clubhouse. For Color Girls Broadway. <laughs> and, I, and I got a callback. We love a callback. Now that they give so, you the audition because they heard your portrayal on the Clubhouse? No, they gave me an audition because I asked my agent to get me. <laughs> Say, so I, Clubhouse know, is still, so Clubhouse, I'm just, you know, reiter- <laughs> you know, making sure that we state that Clubhouse has not gotten anyone any jobs. I don't think so. Okay, that's all I'm. That's all I'm wondering. I just want to know those, not, I mean, those, those productions gave. You know, so it's I not on your resume. It's not. Why would it I know be that's, on my? Well, I'm, I know that some people are putting Dream Girls Clubhouse on their resume. For... Is Clubhouse still alive? Is, or is it gone? Yes, yeah, it's, it's still there. It's, it's, on my phone oh, really? Me. It's still over there. Yeah, they're still over there doing stuff. I think. You know, okay. not to downplay that production. It was fun, and Gina Belafonte, Harry Belafonte's um, daughter, she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. She was great. Um, a wealth of knowledge and a true theatrical, and she's a professional. Like she directs and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. no shade, but I feel like in the scheme of like the level at which we are now like you know i don't need to put that on there but okay. um that damn that did sound shady but i don't need to put that no, on. Don't. So, it don't sound shady. i'm just you know it's what I it mean, is girl it is what right. it is if anything i'm making a joke and being shady but i'm really not being shady i'm just but i got I, I got the call back <laughs> and i guess i wanted the audition more than anything like i just wanted a chance to audition and do the mm-hmm. work and i mean it was a very i mean theatrical auditions they make you do the absolute most mm-hmm. so I mean, it was that like, particular audition made you do the absolute most it was initial sure. audition to complete it was, like, it was like graduation night and then it was um another poem and then it was a choreographed dance and then it was a 16 bar song Um, and so for the callback it's like a dance and then the next week it's a um it's like the pieces again and Mm -hmm. so it's a lot of work and they're giving you time which I really appreciate because it it takes some time but I'm just not I I realized I was like oh shit I think I just what I wanted was the opportunity and I just didn't really have any expectations from the opportunity. I didn't have any expectations. I was just like, oh, they probably already cast it, whatever. So when I got a call back, I was like, this is a lot. Like what would happen you better if go I ahead actually and get got this. this? Kim, you better go ahead and book this. You can book this. I, I, I mean, I, um, I'm excited, but I'm, I'm excited and scared. When's your callback? Uh, the first part is this Thursday is choreography. Okay. So like you got this, Kim, like don't even be second guessing and like, oh my gosh, this opportunity is so large. I didn't, was not expecting this. No, it's exactly what you wanted. It's exactly what you welcomed into your life. You manifested it. You did a production of Clubhouse of Cup for Color Girls on Clubhouse because you love this show so much. Like you love love the piece so much. Like, so like take all of that energy and all of that (laughs) training. You just trained for this show on Clubhouse. So like you take all of that training. 
and all that you invested in that because you poured into that production like whether that you really realize it or not you actually gave yourself yeah, i did i did i did a good job i mean i'm i'm <laughs> good at i am good at narrative work and yes. i'm good at so own that and walk into this on thursday like you have booked this be the right. for colored girl like be the like, colored girl that that people are looking for like be the color okay. girl that people are looking for like you got this i'm not even okay i'm not even about to let you just like even sink down any lower because I when, mean, you, that's very when you booked it on clubhouse yes. your head was high it was but it was just the stakes were just so low you know uh, what i mean so if the stakes are even higher now, your head should be even higher, not lower. I mean, it's Tim, not- you're literally a Broadway performer. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like you literally, like- If y'all see the way Kim is talking about this right now, she's real like lackadaisical about it. Yeah, like, like, oh my gosh, like she's already do. preparing herself not to get it. Like, and yeah, I don't like I, that. I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just scared. That's it. I'm just, oh, I'm yeah, just you can scared. be scared. That's fine. Like, you can be scared. Got, when I got the email, my stomach like dropped. Dropped. Into, like it mm-hmm. dropped. I was like, fuck. Oh my God. Shit. <laughs> like yeah, you can do this and girl. It's also different than like, you know, we've been taping. I have not auditioned mm-hmm. in front of people in a really long time. So I'm hoping that it's a fun experience and not, I hope that I don't like, you know, freak myself out. But I mean, on the bright side, it's like either way I have a job. Regardless. Well, maybe you need to invite some friends over and do the pieces in front of them. Like I was actually pieces. thinking about that because I do think that I need to um, I relearn think that I how might, to fill the space again, like in an audition setting. That, yeah. Especially with like at least how I perform the work. Yeah. Um, it kind of needs is like, you know, different levels of like, I don't know, like if you're doing Shakespeare, like it's hard to kind of do Shakespeare in the house by yourself. Right. You kind of need the, the energy. But anyway. Yeah. That's what's going on with me. Well, call the I'm girls. on social media and that's it. You are off social media. Like good girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, escape. yes, I'm all for the escape too, but you know, also it's my job, so I can't really leave social media. So what I did was block my account. Because you know, I've been going through all sorts of shit that I'm not mm-hmm. gonna bring a lot of attention to, you know. Lord Father God, it is what it is. Um probably black is sort of starting over, but I'm in a great place. Um, to be starting over. We've done some really great things since we've been back. Um, just this past week, we did an Annie Live viewing party. NBC reached out to me about a month or so ago, um, a couple months ago, and wanted to work and partner together on something. And um, and I'm very proud of myself for that um, because I pulled together this party within like a week and a half. Um, it, and it was phenomenal. We had such a great time. If you didn't see Annie Live on NBC, it was absolutely extraordinary. I got to see the dress rehearsal the night before. I also watched the show with a, a group of like 200, 250 people at Bacall's. Bacall's was the place that came through for us. It was a great venue. Um, we had an open bar for like three hours. So I was, by the end of it, I was a little lit. Um, and I think everybody else was too, <clears throat> but we all had a really, really great time. It was, it was more than I could have ever asked for. So thank you to Bacall's. Uh, thank you to NBC. Um, thank you to all the, the people that came and helped out and worked the front door, um, to the staff at Bacall's, uh, to, to the giveaways and things that NBC gave us. I'm trying to think, oh, uh, Angela Burchett and Ashley Ware Jenkins came and sang for us during commercial breaks. Thank you to Steph, the piano player. Thank you to um, everyone who made that night possible. Ephraim Sykes and Shahadi, um, Shahadi, why can't I ever think? Shahadi Wright Joseph, who was in Us, uh, the Jordan Peele's Us, and she was also in uh, Lena Waif's Them. Um, she co-hosted the event with Ephraim Sykes from, um, from well, formerly the MJ Musical and Black No More. They were 
seaweed and little Inez and hairspray live. So I called mm-hmm. them, Audible and then the whole star Annie live viewing party because I thought it'd be a good fit. And they hadn't seen each other really since they did hairspray, which is like five years ago. And so it was a really great moment to get them to get together. Yeah, um, she was like a little kid. Now she's yeah, like she was a kid. Like, yeah, like she's oh. 16 now. Like, isn't that oh crazy my... with kids? It's like he's I... essentially the same fucking person. Right, exactly. <laughs> she's a totally different person. <laughs> but if you go back and look at some of the videos, though, even Ephraim look a little young and, and, and green too. If you go back and look at mm-hmm. some of that stuff, like, whoa, like, my goodness how far we've come um mm. but it was good to, to see them and then we did a little open mic you know mic toss at the end and shahadi sang she sang a little mariah carey and yeah people came up on the mic and it was just a good good time the community was felt and people needed that moment man so i was glad to be able to provide it and, and it always boggles my mind when people come up to me and say this is my first time attending a broadway black event and it was absolutely extraordinary i needed this community i needed this moment thank you for making space for us and that literally is all that I desire to do that that fuels me so much. So it's been I've been doing some good stuff, man. I, I just recently interviewed uh, uh, Dr. Cornell West and uh, Anna Devere Smith at Signature Theater um, on their last show after the last show of Twilight Los Angeles 1992 by Anna Devere Smith. This production was built for an ensemble and it was absolutely extraordinary. Um, and so you'll hear that interview with Dr. Cornell West and Anna Devere Smith on, on this episode at the end here. Um, so take a listen to that. Make sure you don't miss that. And we're going to move on. I didn't talk about myself enough. I think I just said everything I needed to say, you know, without saying too much. Um, you, said, you, said a, you said a bunch, but. Yeah, without saying too much, though. I didn't, I didn't get I didn't get too deep into it, did I? I didn't, you know, I mean, I'm going to tell the truth. Now, you know, I'm going to tell the truth. I know it. Now, that's the one thing I'm going to do. If you ain't you ain't never got to worry about me lying about nothing. I don't lie. But, you know, a lie don't care who tell us. It. So it's people out here just lying, lying on my name, lying on Broadway Black name. But that's neither here or there because I have clients to worry about. So my clients may not necessarily listen to this show, but they do watch my platform. So I can say whatever I want on here, but I'm not going to be talking about it publicly on, on my other platforms, which is why I haven't addressed some of the things that have come out and won't be because why we don't address the company never addresses disgruntled employees, former employees, people that have been let go. Um, So that's what we don't keep You do not negotiate with terrorists. Exactly. Um, but you know, y'all, I just don't understand because I was willing to give more than what I needed to in order to just get a little bit of help. I was literally willing to give away more. Um, but anyway, neither here nor there. Let's move on. It's time for hot topics. No, oh, Kim. Shit. You, Kim forgot that she has a whole song. Oh, it's fine. I'm going to answer the, the audio in here right now. I recorded it. Damn. You did. I completely you... forgot. Okay. Yeah. You put that in there. You did record it already, didn't you? Yeah, I recorded it a long time ago. You sent I it to overproduced me? it, underproduced it. Uh-huh. Okay. You did over <laughs> and underproduce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, y'all. It's time for Hot Topics. Here we go. This podcast is supported by a brand new Broadway musical that literally sounds like the show I've been waiting for all my life. It's called MJ, and it's not about Michael Jordan although that would be cool too. It's all about the one, the only Michael Jackson. MJ the Musical takes audiences behind the scenes of the Dangerous Tour to witness the creative process of this one-of-a-kind artist and one of the greatest entertainers in history. And just FYI, I've been hearing some amazing things about this production. The creative team are some major theater and music heavyweights, including two-time Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Lynn Nottage and Rich and Tone Talaga, who danced with Michael himself. Plus, I got a chance to see the song list, and it's incredible. Every song you love, every song I love, 25 of Michael's biggest hits. Trust me, this is going to be huge. Now in previews at the Neil Simon Theater in the heart of New York City, get more info and tickets at mjthemusical.com. 
We love to talk about so much shit, so now it's time for high topics. So, first and foremost, did y'all even watch any live? I actually did watch half of it. Um, I didn't watch it live because I was doing a show, <laughs> but right. I, but I I turned it on for Ezzy on Tuesday, I think. Or and what's she think? What's she think about it? She loved the little girl, of course. Well, Selena Smith is a a star. I mean, she she was. I mean, but she so saw sweet. her very briefly on the Macy's Day Parade. I turned mm-hmm. it on before she demanded that I turn it off, but. Uh- <laughs> when we turned it on, um, she was like, who's that? I was like, oh, she's she's Annie. It's from a musical called Annie. And she's like, oh, can I be Annie? I was like, yeah, sure. Yes. Annie. Um, I mean, she's super into character role play. She put on wigs, be Annie, whatever. Right. So she was really like, when she was watching, she was watching her. Um, and the other little kids, the adult ensemble just didn't really catch her attention. But um. But I thought that it was, um, I was, of course, impressed by the children. Oh, the kids um, were great, the, especially the little girl that played Molly. Yeah. the I mean, they were, the kids were phenomenal. Um, I thought the ensemble was also phenomenal. Oh, like, my gosh. They danced for days. The, the dance ensemble and the singer-actor ensemble, how yeah. they were able to switch in and out of characters and stuff. I liked that element of it. I thought that it was very theatrical because in an actual Broadway production, they wouldn't hire all these the ensemble would play the characters so Mm -hmm. i enjoyed that i did not enjoy taraji and um, well okay so let's talk about that because taraji i think she 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 delivered she delivered the character but i think it was too influenced by carol burnett i think that it was so like influenced by carol burnett that we she didn't really make it her own i mean this is what i (laughs) carol burnett is carol burnett and you can be influenced all day, but it's Carol Burnett. Like, it's one of those things like, you know, you can't, if you're gonna, you can't go there with it. Like, it's like trying to, it's like saying, oh, Meryl was my influence and then trying to do what Meryl, you can't do what Meryl did. Or like Beyonce is my influence and I try to be like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you take the influence and you take some of the the structure. The things, yeah. And you build your own. The thing that disappointed me was that I think Taraji is a very capable actress and she is theatrically trained, but I feel like because she's been in film for so long, she had this bigness to her that wasn't necessary. All the other Mm -hmm. actors Mm -hmm. in the, in the show, um, and the kids were a little bigger, but they're children. So children are going to be a little bigger, but all the other adult ensemble actors in the show had this realness about them even though they were in this fantastical setting. And that's the beauty of the musical is that musicals are right. typically based in reality with this fantastical element of song. So I think in her mind, she was like, it's theater. So I have to go big. Right. And it was too big. It was too, it was unbelievable. Because it's still theater on film. <laughs> it was a caricature. Like right. she was in a scene with, there was this guy, he had a beard. Um, he was like playing like the the mailman, the milkman, the laundry man, whoever that mm-hmm. character is. Mr. And Bundles. Yes, when she sneaks out, uh-huh. she was like, ah, yeah, 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 and he's like, and I'm going to, like, and he just, I mean, his delivery of the, the line was just so fucking natural. It made her seem even bigger. Right. You know what I mean? Or crazy. It made her look crazy. Or crazy. Correct. And even with, like, <laughs> and beside Legends, Broadway staples, like Titus and Megan Hilton. Megan, like, right. They, and Megan Hilton was doing a full-on character. 
She was, you know, and it still wasn't even as big as Miss Hannigan because there's an art, there's an art to this Broadway shit, and, and there's an art to bigness, like to bigness and characterization yeah. and all of that, and there's mm-hmm. a reality that's involved, and I just don't think that she got it, and I want it more, so I want I it less. Also, I think we also <laughs> underestimate though how hard. I also think we under. Oh, look at Ezzy. I also think we underestimate though. How hard it is to play Mrs. Hannigan. Mrs. Hannigan is not an easy role. Not like, at all. It's one of the it's one of the harder, like it's one of the harder, I think, musical theater like villains in the canon. You know what I mean? Yeah, to so, make it really believable. It, right. So I think it can really be a hit or miss thing because we do have that sort of Carol Burnett, you know, sort of like thing. I don't I don't remember the I remember they did a they did a TV one before. It wasn't a TV live one though, right? No, it wasn't TV. live, but it was TV. It was Disney, um, Wonderful World of Disney. It was uh uh with um was Roger McDonald as Grace and yeah, Kathy oh, Bates. Beautiful. Kathy Bates was Miss Kathy Hannah. Bates, right, who yeah. had a sort of natural, just kind of like weight to her. Yeah. So like yeah, yeah. So it's 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 so I also think like, oh, she took a big swing. You know what I mean? I was watching someone take a big swing. Didn't necessarily for me. It was a bit of a swing and a miss. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. a foul ball. She had no idea where she was I mean, going. Her, her performance in Acrimony was, was better. Swing. Not her she performance in Acrimony was better. I mean, because, I mean, Acrimony is one of the worst films I've ever seen. But performance-wise, Taraji really isn't like, it's not like, goddamn, she's so bad. Like, I've never really, I've never witnessed Taraji be, like, bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the this was the closest to it. And I, and I said, I pull acrimony because she becomes the villain in this, mm-hmm. um, in, in acrimony, she becomes the villain in the end. And mm-hmm. she has this thing kind of snap and Miss Hannigan. I mean, she's the villain outright, but she also has like a moment where there's this, mm-hmm. ha we're going to use this to do this. And, and there's mm-hmm. also this underlying, like, you know, she's clearly she's clearly a broken person she's clearly mm-hmm. a wounded child um like you have to say like why is she around like all these all these things she is a hard character and I think because Taraji I feel like I think she's very capable but I just think that yeah it's it's very hard to be in film for that many years and to jump back into musical theater especially mm-hmm. um right off the bat and something that is like imagined and being a real person and and also um like like Don Lewis and Tina um mm-hmm. I think that the same thing kind of happened it's like the best note I ever got is like for, with acting is start where you are and that's I'm not no master fucking actor or teacher but like begin where you are you know you can never think that a character is so far removed from who you are mm-hmm. because then it won't read so like in tina my problem with the don lewis track or the interpretation that she had of the mother was that she is the age of a mother she could be a grandmother as well Mm -hmm. she herself don lewis is literally the age of a mother and or grandmother so all of the put uponness of the voice of the age of the mm, the accent and all that it, it was too much because she was close to the character to me, she had similarities to the character that were not used because she instead took other things and put them on top of her. And I think that's what happened to Taraji. You have to look at the character, 
do I have anything in common with Miss Hannigan? Am I a wounded child? What things have I gone through? When have I been da 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 da? Instead of saying, oh, this is so completely not me. I'm going to take these things and put them on top of myself because then it kind of looks like clowning, which is a totally different art form. But that's my two cents. we love to see it okay so that's enough about (laughs) Annie live we're gonna move right along we're gonna move on (laughs) because i don't think i can say anything else to that bravo can we love your uh, critical analysis and i love them both i love them both i gagged when i met don lewis at the easter bonnet she was like i met Dawn at my play. She came to my play because she was supporting Daniel, and I bowed to her. I just did a I mean, lot of bowing. Oh, I <laughs> love Dawn too. These, love all these people. She's I mean, so sweet. Yeah, yeah. She been popping up. She came to our uh, our Tony viewing party. Uh, yeah, I saw too. her. She, she pulls up. up. She pulls up. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, we love her, Don Lewis. We love you to death. Um, you know, black Roger, culture icon. Sorry, I'm a critiquer, but feel free to come to my show and critique me, y'all. That's what we do here. We talk, we talk here. here. We say what we think here. We're talking about the work, not the, the people. Work. Yeah, the we're work. talking about the work yeah. and not the people. So, you know, keep it moving. Um, also, when you want to, you know, uh, Stephen Sondheim passed. Mm, um, that was really sad. Was it sad, though? Because, <laughs> like... I felt sad. I did. I just, I know he's old as hell, but... I yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, him. the man was, like, 92, 93 years old. Like, I'm no. confused. So everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I can't... Was he making anything new? He was. He was. He was, he was making a new show. Okay. And I think. I think also because he was kind of this like patron who also came. To, he was still coming. He came to, plays. to stuff. He did come he to was stuff. Still coming to shows. So I yep. think like he's one of our la- like. I think he. I mean, he he might be like our. You know, he's one of the fathers of musical theater. And you know, it is always sad. You know, we were sad when when Cecily passed, right? And she was old, right? A lot of people were emotional. A lot of people were sad. A lot of people were emotional. And she had lived the time, right? She lived to be completely yes. right? And so this is kind of, and I'm not a musical theater person, but you know, like this is someone who was still walking around giving, you know, grace and lessons and emails and assurance and- Yo, he, and he encouragement. sent an email, just, y'all. Yeah, it wasn't he just emails, like, yeah. he made musicals. He was, he was it, it seemed like from what I could see from the outside, he was a real like mentor and just encourager of people who made musical theater. Yeah. And like, and, and, and he's an icon. And so, you know, if you have an icon and, he, and if he goes, it's like, you know, and especially like for those aspiring musical theater people who are like, oh, I just, I want that Sondheim stamp of approval. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to get that, you know, like yeah. that's, that's, that's someone who's gone and we don't have another like living person with that body of work, you know? And right. so it's he does sad have a, when a... that, it's sad when that goes away. You and know, he also allowed his work to be reimagined. Is. A lot of estate. Yeah. Like when you get into the estate of it, they'll be yeah. like, oh, they don't, you know, they have to decide. But he, I mean, that whole reimagined company thing, like yeah. that's rare. Like right. to just have an author be like, okay, yeah, let's just rework this thing. And then he came and was like, yes, yes. And I mean, I, I know I, he hated on Susan Laurie Parks, hated on Susan Laurie Parks when Susan Laurie Parks reworked the book for Porgy and Bess because of that racist shit that was in Porgy and Bess. He wrote a whole thing and was hating. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but that wasn't his work. About that. It wasn't his work, but it was just like, it was a whole thing about like, why would you touch, why would you retouch the work? The Gershwin. Yeah, the Gershwin. I mean, but, and because it was like, because it's racist and problematic. End of but, the day, yeah. he is white. 
but right. um you know and he wrote in his work you know he didn't have he didn't he wasn't writing from i mean he wrote from his perspective and he wrote mm-hmm. from his imagination which yeah of and he's course, really clever and really great at what he he he's really great at what he's done he's prolific at what he's done yeah. mm-hmm. um i also know that it's inspired so many people beyond you know theater right. Um, right. So I definitely understand it. I definitely understand that. Oh my goodness, we've lost a titan. We've lost an icon mm-hmm. of our industry. Yeah. Um, but also, the man was not like. And even when you say with Cicely, that like, people were sad. I was not sad. I'm glad that I got a chance to meet her and be in- impacted by her and to interview her and like to be a part of that that legacy of life, having a small taste of it. I was very so happy for that, but I wasn't necessarily sad. I was glad that she had lived a full life. And the same with Sondheim. I'm glad that he was able to live and impact so many people and have such a full life. So, sir, I'm not sad that you're gone. Job well done, my thy good and faithful yeah. servant. You know what I mean? Like True. you were you're amazing. Thank you Definitely. so much for all that you that you offer. But also in the back of my head, too, I still be thinking like you could have made more room for black people and people of color. I mean, yeah, of course. There are notes, but it is what it is. I mean, well, that's just my note. You know, I'm just giving that but, note. Like, but um, I don't wasn't know. I, intentional I think with that. I think it's the people who, like, when you've been around for so long. Like, my great grandmother is like, mother is like, what, 97 or not? My my great grandmother's really old. She's 97, 98, and she's not like, you know, one of the old people who don't know what the hell is going on. Like, she knows exactly what's going on. She lives by. I mean, she lives in like an assisted living, but she lives by herself. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know this is like my family. But like she's been around for so long. She's like a constant, you know, like mm-hmm. if you if anyone's going to be alive, it's mother. So when mother passes and we're getting to that point, you know, you're getting you can't live forever. You know, it do, it feels like a like it's not a tragedy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it, it, yeah. I, it's a you know, it is like job well done. But it's also like, well, damn, you know, he's he he's lived through the golden age of musical theater all the way up until now and his work his work has changed with you know with that he's he started out as like an apprentice and like that entire it's just um such a long uh, such a constant that he's been in his hand Mm -hmm. it's just like when Harold Prince you know Mm -hmm. all all of that you I, I I get people's you know, he's, he's someone who's been around their entire lives and before they were even born, before their parents were even born, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I get the, I get the attachment that I think it's, yeah. it's more of that. It's an attachment to that constant thing. And that constant is now no more. Right. I hear you. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll move right along. Um, the next hot topic um, did y'all hear about Audra McDonald, uh, executive producing and like, um, narrating a Whitney Houston documentary? No, no. So Audra McDonald to near to near. I just wish they would leave Whitney alone. And, and Audra too. I love you to death, Audra, but just leave. Let Whitney her rest alone. What more like, do we need to know? Oh my gosh! This is a new documentary focusing on the early life of Whitney Houston. Is in the works. Whitney Houston in focus will be directed uh, by Benjamin Alfonsi and is based on the book. Young Whitney Houston by photographer Bette Marshall. Uh, Tony winner Audrey McDonald will serve as an ex- executive producer and as, and as the narrator for the documentary, which is set for release in early 2022. Um, Whitney Houston is an artist I worship from the moment I first heard her sing. Her voice was simply miraculous and her artistry was perfection. McDonald said, we all witnessed her superstardom and I'm honored to help tell this part of Whitney's story before it all began. Okay, so 
I guess. Um, I just wish they would leave people alone. Let's leave Whitney alone specifically. Um, also, another documentary, HBO, is doing a documentary about um, the public theater's uh, production Wives. of Mary Wives. Um, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be going to see that. Was I supposed to see that today? Was that today? Um, I hope that wasn't today. <laughs> I, know. I know there's a West Side Story thing today, though. There is a West Side Story um, uh, uh, screening tonight. Um, I was supposed to attend that, but I'm not going to that. I am going to... Um, I am going to, what am I going to? Uh, like this the Broadway thing? The Amplify? The celebration? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. event, yeah, yeah. Um, Amplify? Okay. The Black Ooh. Broadway, the Black Broadway. Yeah, Black so I'm going to that. They celebrate all the black folks, and that's like what BAC and a couple of other oh, people, okay. like Movement Theater Company and mm-hmm. something nice. like that around that. So I'll be there for that. But okay, the reopening night is the name of the HBO documentary, and it's going to be next Monday is when I'm going. So, um. That should be interesting though, because they went through so many setbacks. Like, yes, they did, didn't they? Yeah, like during that process, like rain, COVID. Like, I feel like it was just like yeah. a little like trials, you know. So I'd be interested to see it. I also really enjoyed the show. Yeah, I mean, I did too. I, um, Mary Wives. Yeah, Mary Wives was oh, really I good. I was in rehearsal. You missed it. I was in rehearsal. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It was quite good. It was, I mean, it was good and it held a three year old's attention for I don't know how long we were there, but she sat and watched that whole thing. So it was good. Well, also, y'all, you need to go and check Lilius White out at uh, Chicago. She'd be over there serving up Mama Morton and she's doing her final show on December 26th. So I talked um, to her in a bar. It was exciting. You talked to her in a bar. She's lovely. Well, we, I mean, we, um, I mean, everybody was like, oh, you know, Lily is white or whatever. But, you know, Chicago's right across in the Book of Mormon. So mm-hmm. at night, sometimes, like on Sundays, they'll come across and like, you know, we'll all be chilling at the bar. And Lily is white was at the bar and John Eric Parker is in my cast and they're friends. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of cool, like sitting because I've never I don't know, I'm not really on the scene like that. And especially with like, you know, even if you're on the scene, it's just people our age um right well also it also be the old heads too but like i guess because yeah. we so we see them so often or we work with them or you know are so are surrounded by them so often that it can feel desensitized like oh okay there's there's lily's white there's norm okay hey, I, I just thought i was i don't know I see, i've never worked with lily's white i mean I I, it's cool to see her in I like in like a, a setting that was, I mean, it was just super casual. Chill. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't yeah. an event. It was just like people hanging out after a show. And Lilius know like, how to hang. I'm like, we hanging out after <laughs> a show with Lilius White. And Lilius yes. know how to hang. She know how to hang out. Cool. That's my girl. Um, I also saw Billy Porter this week. We went to the uh, Broadway Dreams Gala. They honored him this this year. Nice. Um, and that gala made me want to. I'm I'm doing I'm going to do a gala, but I need to find the people with the money in the to get them in the room because people were spending fifteen thousand dollars and ten thousand dollars on an envelope of, of stuff they didn't even know what was inside of it. Like, <laughs> it was just, I got an envelope. I want to give. Listen, they was they was giving money left and right for you wow. know little backyard barbecues and you backyard know, stuff that was like <laughs> stuff to to for the charity for the nonprofit to help the yeah. kids you know the mm-hmm. to help the mission of the kids and the Broadway Dreams and all that shit. Um, it was good, <laughs> and it was fun. I um, love a gala. A oh, gala. I do too. And it, yeah, you know, it was at Tavern on the Green. It was oh, at Tavern nice. on the Green, oh, and nice. um, you know, the it was you know open bar, and it was we was we had a good old time. Yeah. Um, I also went to see a reading of Jocelyn's new play, um, 
Oh yeah, uh, jo- the African hair braiding. Yes, I wasn't a reading so of that. I've had everything of Jocelyn's this year. I just miss Jocelyn this year. I miss everything. She of her. she do not miss when I tell you she yeah, don't miss. I've missed everything of hers. That she do um, not miss. You I may have missed it, but she don't miss. Like I, I know, miss, I know. They've been hitting. I miss <laughs> with dreams. I miss. I miss everything. I miss. I, I missed. Um, I missed Dollywood dreams, but I have a yeah. copy of it in my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, well, send it to me. Oh, you said hair, on your bookshelf. You ain't got no. The digital. hair braiding um salon though. I did a reading of that like during the pandemic, and that was good. Mm. It was like the first draft, and I'm like, this is good already. No, all her drafts are fire. Oh, yeah, I miss Nollywood dreams too, but that's because MCC ain't been answering my emails. Um, so I'm gonna have to oh. you know, email them back and see what's <laughs> going on. They also owe me some money, so. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't know what that's about. Like, and she'll be missing this shit. the this the Jocelyn um era. Yeah, I like that. The yeah, Bo she, era, the era, of the, the age of Bo. I mean, she is. Bio. She churning she's them out now. Getting it, yeah. Like, she, and she, they be good. It's not like they, you yeah. know, and they be short. I love the little ninety minutes she stick to. <laughs> I, yeah, stick I love to a good eighty-five play. ninety minutes. A comedy. I agree. A comedy shouldn't be more than an hour forty-five. I don't think yeah. anything should be. <laughs> it's like no. Meanwhile, I'm in a whole musical that's two hours. You're in a whole two hours, right? <laughs> but I will say our shit move fast because I'm like, once we get, once you get to the second act, that should be like. Well, look, like, I you, love that. Moves. I love when it moves fast. So speaking of moving fast, we're going to move right along to the interview portion. We're going to get to the second act of this show. We love y'all so much. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to the Hot Topics for Broadway Black. Next coming up is the uh, the talkback interview that I did with Dr. Cornell West and Anna Devere Smith. of Twilight Los Angeles 1992. My name is Drew Shade. I am the founder and artistic director of Broadway Black, which is a platform that highlights African Americans on and off the Broadway stage. And I am honored and privileged to be here with the two dynamic icons, Anna DeVere Smith and Dr. Cornell West. like this, so please forgive me as I find the words uh, to enter into dialogue with these two great minds. I am blown away by this production. Twilight Los Angeles is a solo performance uh, play, usually performed by Anna DeVere Smith, and this was reimagined for this ensemble cast, and there's so many elements that I want to dive into, but I first want to begin with uh, Ms. DeVere Smith. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like to reimagine something that's already been laid in foundation for years and number of years. What has that been like for you for to rework this production for these particular people? Well, it, you know, uh, it's just a process of meeting them. Where are they? They're up there somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's up there. There they are. Yes. 
auditions, which were a very long process. So, you know, it's just being with the people, I would say. That's, yeah. that's the main thing. Yes. And um, one of the things that I noticed, and this is something I know of you as well, that you perform barefoot. And this production, all of the uh, artists performed barefoot as well. Was that an homage to you? What is the, the significance behind performing barefoot? Oh, well, I don't, I'm, I'm very grateful that the director, Tavi Magar, uh, did decide to do that, and also um, the costume designer, um, that, that they went with that. I mean, for me, and I don't know, Brother West, you may have something to say about this. Um, I've always wanted to be, have my foot close to the ground. Um, uh, to get energy from the ground. Also, there is an abstraction because I'm not really any of these people. So that, you know, I was thinking about the work I did with Alvin Ailey Dance Company and, you know, modern dance. Um, and uh, I went down to, uh, years later after making that, I think I wasn't even really doing this kind of performing anymore, to Mother Emanuel. And I had a chance to talk to the pastor who was the, the woman pastor whose name is slipping me right now. Uh, after, you know, the shootings, and we had a little talk, and she talked about how when she gets behind the pulpit, the first thing she does is take her shoes off, because she feels that having her foot on the ground made her closer to God mm. for preaching. Yeah, that's powerful, because, I mean, there's, there's a rooting and a planting in storytelling, especially when your feet are bare. I think we also hear people want to sing flat-footed, and you know, without, without shoes, and that gets us really to the soul and the core of what we're trying to interpret. And I think that was very much so seen here today. Talking about this story, uh, this, this real life uh, verbatim course of events that we witnessed today too. Uh, can you talk to us a little about Cornell West, uh, Dr. Cornell West, what, what came back to you after hearing your own words, especially with the ensemble saying them all? That was the first time that they've, they've done that as well. So an ensemble saying your words from an interview from over 20 years ago, what does that, does that draw up anything for you? I forgot I said it, but I, was, <laughs> I wish I would have said it, but I guess I did say it, because I did sister laying it out. But I just want to begin by saluting an artistic genius, a spiritual giant. A powering force for good in the country and the world in such a grim and dim moment. This is very, very important because she's part of a tradition of a people who have been chronically hated for 400 years and keep dishing out love warriors and freedom fighters and wounded healers and joy spreaders. That's who she is. So she's this mighty wave in a great ocean of a people, a man on her mother and father and so forth. And that, that's very important for me because all of us in this very, very dark moment have to be able to situate and locate ourselves in a tradition that has everything to do with integrity, honesty, decency, the kind of generosity. It's radical empathy, radical hospitality, radical love you see on the stage, getting inside of the skin of others, getting a sense of what their wounds are like, and then allowing their, the anthem of black people, lift every voice. Every voice of every corner of the culture is lifted, it's not lift every echo. So we live in a culture of joyless quest for insatiable pleasure where echo chambers being expressed. But when you lift your voice like a jazz man or a blues woman, or a great artist like Sister Anna, we get some hope. And that's what I get every time I see your artistry. If you think about our years in Cambridge together with the Civic and 
dialogue and so forth. I was telling that to my president, my beloved president, Union Theological Seminary, Serene Jones, we've got my assistant dean here, Nicole Miranda, my precious mother and father, some mother's birthday actually, so that's a beautiful thing. And then, I, is, is Sister Loretta still here? Is Sister Loretta, she is still here. Well, where is she? Where is she? There's our dear sister, Attorney General. Give it up to Sister Loretta. She's come out of the same tradition on the chocolate side of town, told in the Baptist churches, if the kingdom of God is within you, then everywhere you go, you ought to leave a little heaven behind. <laughs> Leaving that heaven behind is what we get in this artistry. It's what we get in this artistry, and it makes all the difference in the world, and it makes it a human question. It's not a function of your skin pigmentation. It's a function of your spiritual formation and ethical cultivation and courageous action. And for some of us, it's got something to do with Jesus and divine connection, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> However you get it, you're going to need some courage, vision, cutting against the grain because the democracy is about gone. It's about gone. With all the organized hatred and institutionalized greed and routinized fear and paranoia, you can't have a democracy like that. Your public space is evacuated. There's no trust of any citizen vis-a-vis -vis each other that can generate the kind of movement that's at work in what our artist is putting forward. And artists are always the vanguard of the species. They authorize an alternative reality. That's what Shelley had in mind, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. He wasn't talking about versifiers, talking about human beings who deploy their imagination and empathy to authorize a better world and then encourage folk to fight for it. And once you lose that, you just got spiritual decay, you just got more decrepitude, and it becomes survival of the slickest. And the 11th commandment, thou shalt not get caught, becomes the way in which people live their lives. That's where we are right now. And that's why her artistry is so crucial, fundamental. You also talked about uh, Toni Morrison and Antoine Chekhov. Lord And those were the artists at that particular time in 1992 that were very impactful and were speaking to the voice uh, of the people and, and what you thought was the way to go. Is there anyone since that time that you think beyond Miss Anna DeVere Smith that is doing the same thing that Toni Morrison and, and Antoine Chekhov were getting to the core of people and the humanity? Are there any other artists? Of this generation? Of this generation. Oh, well, you probably know better than me. I like Sister Susan Laurie Parks' work. Yeah. Oh, oh, she goes down. She goes down very, very much so. There's some artists. Every generation is going to dish out something. You know what I mean? Our problem is, is that we live in the age of the spectacle, you see, so that people think they're dished out to be seen rather than shine. That's why I like Twilight's last words. He said, he's a human being. He's the light. Fanny Lou Hammer used to say what? This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Bootsy wrote a song. We co-wrote it together this summer. Bootsy Collins, a great funk master, called Stars. Stars are not made for the red carpet, they're made to shine. So the younger generation needs to, needs to understand that even when you have this great talent and these gifts, you cultivate the gifts to give it to others and serve the least of these. It's not to give attention to yourself. So you become the spectacle, no. And that's a challenge. It's a major challenge. We live in the most commodified culture in the history of the world. The most marketized culture in the history of the world. So it's all spectacles, all image. It's all PR reflection. And I think that, uh, particularly with this piece, 
uh, there are, it's such a star power piece, if you will. Um, Mr. Versmith, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to uh, not be the star and cultivate this? And I know you, working with this ensemble was different, but what was special about making an ensemble piece beyond a solo Well, the, the work that I do, which is to, uh, basically my grandfather said, if you say a word often enough, it becomes you. And I've been going around America with a tape recorder since the late 70s, trying to become America word for word. And in defiance of growing up in the segregated culture, segregated Baltimore, Maryland, more segregated probably now than it was then. And so, um, you know, it was always meant to be for other actors uh, to do this work. That was the dream. And I just didn't think I knew how to raise enough money to do that. And I just remembered that I was a mimic as a child and thought, well, while I'm refining this, I'll just do it all myself. Uh, and then the first one that got known, which was number 13, Fires in the Mirror, um, you know, I was then so-called known for doing this. But the process was always meant to be uh, for a group of actors like these wonderful human beings up here in the back who I love and they know I'm crazy about them. And they did a beautiful job. Let's give it up for the actors. into the message of this, um, it's, it's so relevant to the time that we're in, especially with the Rittenhouse verdict that we just had that could also incite some, some anger and some uh, you know, wanting of justice. And how this piece particularly feeds to uh, the core of who we are, we're still trying to find the humanity within each other. And how do you think this has impacted um, these audiences, how do you think this is serving the audiences right now from 1992? Well, I think, first of all, these audiences, uh, the audiences of people who come here, who give up an evening and, or an afternoon and hours to come and be with us, number one, I would like, particularly the actors in the back, to give it up to this audience. <laughs> because we're nothing without you. We're nothing without you. And I think we are still uh, rolling from the murder of George Floyd. And, uh, you know, so, and, 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 and going all the way back to Trayvon Martin and certainly before then, but this long, long line of assaults that we have watched together that I think that I don't know what, how people process that, but it's really about trying to put something up here that will allow everybody to process this in their own way and the assault on Asian Americans and what's been happening uh, with immigration, that all of these things about colored people, um, that there's a mix that happens when the audience is here and our white brothers and sisters as well, right? How do we get to this point where we find places where we can gather together? We wish and hope and you know, rely on the arts and universities, and uh, you know, we've said before that our, our places of worship are the most segregated, seg most segregated times 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So, um, you know, we need to find lots of places where people can come and process. But what do you think, brother, about that? Well, I think yeah. you're telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> the conditional truth is to allow suffering to speak and transfigure that suffering into some language that can touch people's souls in such a way they're willing to bear witness to something bigger than their ego. 
But that's just a perennial challenge for the species. I mean, that's just every generation has to deal with that. Because we live at a time for young folk where they are rightly questioning the very capacity of the species to avoid self-destruction. You see, we had that for nu with nuclear catastrophe, with an ecological catastrophe, we would come along. You see what I mean? So that, that casts another kind of cloud. We got some wonderful students from Skidmore here, young students, wrestling with that. And then in addition, you got the wealth inequality and organized greed, especially at the top. And in addition, you got white supremacy. And in addition, you got the degrading of Arabs and Muslims and Jews and Palestinians and gays and lesbians and trans and indigenous peoples and patriarchy operating. In addition, you got an American empire still dropping drones on innocent people. It's at the peak of the militaristic foreign policy. So all of that has to be taken into consideration because our world is so globalized now. You can't avoid the ways in which we're connected with the other 191 nations in the world, the way in which, as a species, we could go under if the ecological catastrophe in increases. And you're the younger generation. What, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I like to think I'm the younger Thank you. Thank you so much. I like to think I'm the younger generation. I appreciate that. Um, I, <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> Um, I do want to say, though, in, in connecting with people and talking with people, that is important. And that's something that I noticed, too, that you changed with this piece, the, the Thanksgiving dinner party, was where they actually got a chance to talk, it seemed, to each other. Can you talk a little bit about the process of that and what you thought of, of how that came to be? Well, it's, isn't that great that you call it Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one that got no, the Thanksgiving? No, you know, so I, I, interviewed, I interviewed 320 people. And uh, in one of the productions that I did, you know, I did a production in LA, and a production uh, at the Public Theater, one on Broadway, and then we made one for the road that went to a variety of places. And one of the places it went was to San Francisco. And after the San Francisco performance one night, Alice Waters, who, is, uh, uh, who Elena uh, portrayed for us, and a great chef, and really started the way we eat now, she really did start this farm to table thing, a lot of people get credit for it. And after the performance, a friend of hers took me out to dinner with a couple other people, and uh, Chef Waters, Alice Waters, Sister Alice, and she could not speak. She just sat, like, sort of the way you saw Elena. And I wanted to put her in the show. And that really inspired the idea of a dinner a table, a table where the most, least likely people would assemble. Strangers, because these are, you know, over the course of a, a year, year and a half that I did these interviews, and out of those 320, I just picked, and that's about 400 hours, I just picked, you know, these people to see how I could cause them to be making some sense, even though they never even met, that it was absolutely disparate. And uh, that is something that I hope is a suggestion to our audience, not that I think, as we did in the 90s, and uh, Brother West, that's, uh, that's when we met each other in the 90s, that this is anything anymore about a conversation about race. That is not going to get us anywhere. There are things that have to happen, but nonetheless, there is, in most religions, an idea about hospitality, oh, right? Which is how do you greet the stranger? How, do you welcome the stranger in to your table and, and with grace and not want anything back, right? At that moment that Alice Waters says, 
you know, to give and, 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 and not, does it all have to be transactional? And that's what politics is, right? Most of the things we do are transactional. But the idea of hospitality, how do you greet the stranger? And you have a chance. Is it that you're going to embrace the stranger? Are you going to welcome the stranger to your table? Or are you going to kill the stranger? So that's what the table is. Right, because that feels dangerous, bringing the stranger into the comforts of your home or the comforts of your safe space. And so that, that can cause alarm for, for some people. And I think that that's why that particular dinner party conversation was so important, because it was the least likely of people to have dialogue. And it felt like that they were able to have a solid discourse um, amongst each other without, uh, um, without falling over, without falling out of the idea of what, what they actually wanted to achieve, what did they actually want to have happen. You know, it's very interesting that the great James Baldwin, the genius come out of Harlem, his last book was The Welcome Table that he never published. Because he had a welcome table in his crib, in his house right outside of Paris. And it was a whosoever will let him come. It was building on the genius of Hebrew scripture, which is the spreading of Hesed, that steadfast love, that loving kindness, the orphan, widow, fatherless, motherless, the 20 references to embracing the stranger, Leviticus 19, love thy neighbor. And then Jesus loved thy neighbor. Then we can go on to other subsequent figures in that sense. So that welcome table overlaps with Baldwin going back to, and of course, I mean, prophetic legacy of Jerusalem have no monopoly on radical hospitality, but you'll find it in Hebrew scripture if you look close enough, it's there. And you'll find it in other great religious traditions as well, you see. And when it comes to we Christians, oh my God, don't spend too much time looking at our behavior, but it's in our text. <laughs> it's in our text. Even love your enemy. Even love your enemy. When I was down in Charlottesville, and these people coming at us tooth and nail, cussing us out, going to crush us, and so forth. Brother West, how come you call us brother all the time? I said, because Jesus loves you just like he loves me. They said, oh, that's kind of strange. I said, it's very strange because you choose to be a gangster. And I'm wrestling with my gangster proclaimers, but I'm a redeemed sinner. So that we're still on a human continuum in that sense. And it's that kind of humility and fallibility that become the precondition for some serious dialogue at that welcome table. But if people don't feel as if they're trusted, they don't feel as if you have any interest in them whatsoever, then it's not going to be a dialogue at the welcome table. It's going to be swords. It's going to be cursing what you see on so much of the internet and so forth. That's part of the spiritual decay and moral decadence that you see in the culture that is running amok. So that welcome table is a countervailing force, counter-hegemonic force that goes against the hatred, the greed, the domination, the oppression, and so forth. Because these moments of interruption are all we have as a species. Most of the history of the species of hatred, domination, and subjugation of various forms. And all you have are these moments of interruption and disruption, and that's where democracies can, 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 can come forward. And that's why they're so rare in human history. That's why they tend not to last too long. Because it takes unbelievable courage to criticize yourself. Courage to enter public space without humiliation. Courage to raise your voice and not just be an echo. Once you lose that courage, then all you've got is a gangsterized society. 
society, not just polarized the way corporate media says. No, it's gangsterized. It's gangsterized. It's not even hypocritical. Hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays them virtue. Because if you're a hip hypocrite, at least you know you got standards. <laughs> it's true. When you're a gangster, you have no standards. That's where we're headed. That's fascism. That's American-style fascism across the board. And that's very much where we're headed. And Trump is just a sign and symbol. Because they got other folk waiting in, in the wings. And so when we have a play like this, given all the joy and all the sense of community, life and death is at stake. And that's why when you have great artists like this sister here, we recognize just how precious her work and her artistry is as part of a longer tradition. Because we could have just had John Coltrane love Supreme and ended the whole thing. <laughs> well, that's not a bad idea. Well, before we open our welcome table and you find the courage to ask a question, I want to, this is a question that I love to ask every uh, person that I interview. Can you tell me what you want us to walk away with after seeing this? And Mr. Uh, Dr. Corner, was, can you tell us what are you walking away with after this? And then we'll open the, uh, the microphone to questions. Well, I just am more interested in what people are bringing. Mm. And so... Therefore, I cannot predict what they're walking away with because I know every single person in here brought something. They may not have even real, may have come with somebody and didn't even know what they were gonna see. And if something happened where they had a moment of connection and reflection and reorganization, which could lead to some kind of transformation that they would like to have, not here, that would, not here, but as a accretion, my mentor, Studs Terkel, talked about I asked him, what's the defining moment of American history? He said, there ain't no defining moment of American history. It's an accretion of moments that bring us to where we are now. So I understand if some tiny, tiny thing happens here, for one of you itsy-bitsy-witsy, whether it's cognitive or emotional, I hope it's in the bigger sea of moments that you have in your life. So I don't think about what people are gonna walk away with. I just hope they came in with something and that something got remixed in the time they were with us. Amen to that, thank you. And Dr. West. Well, just very briefly, I want to hear before we got to say, but it's not a matter of just getting woke. I tell my young brothers and sisters all the time, if you stay woke, you're going to suffer from insomnia. <laughs> to be fortified. This is not a choice of a lifetime. It's a question of what kind of human being you want to be. Are you going to be a freedom fighter? So you got to stay fortified. For me, it's Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor. Get ready. People get ready. That's Curtis Mayfield, isn't it? Train a car. Train a car. Don't need no ticket. Just That's what I'm talking about. Stay fortified. Ready, mind, heart, soul, body, laughter, style, incongruity, and contradiction that you are. Just keep being fortified as a force for good. And that's what I leave with, more fortified. I love that. I love that too. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Give me a little more time for these two
bus I can actually see out here. If we have anybody with a question, I would love to. We'll start right here. Yes, sir. Um, so I'm really intrigued by the rhetoric that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got a union student. He, he's in my class on Bonhoeffer and Ball when I was. Love you. So first and foremost, I first encountered your work, uh, Fires in the Mirror, uh, seven years ago in undergraduate class. I thought it was really profound. Thank you for that. And then secondly, I'm really intrigued by the rhetoric that President Bush employed in discussing the, um, the incident. Um, he said, order must be restored. And I, I, thought my, so I was wondering to myself, was there order to begin with at all if such a uh, trial result was affected in the first place? So maybe there's this question of uh, mobs and riots, so-called. I don't prefer that rhetoric, but um, maybe they're all about trying to establish, bring into being this order that never existed in the first place. Well, I think you've said it. I, I think, uh, you know, you've said it. That's a great provocative question for everybody in the audience. Was there order in the first place? Is, was there ever an American dream? Was there ever a common good? All of these things that we assume. So thank you from Union Theological Seminary. <laughs> Personally, you know, I think education shouldn't be about answers, it should be about questions. And I feel the same way about art, right? All art starts with a question, and so you've given uh, this audience a great question. Was there order in the first place? Right. There was certainly order, but not enough justice. Yes. You had order under slavery, you had order under Jim Crow and Jane Crow. The problem was it was an unjust order. That's the difference. That's the difference. Fascism will, will make the trains run on time. The crime rate's gonna go real low. And certain folk gonna feel real safe. And some of us will have our heads cut off. That's order too. But it's wrong. It's unjust. It's immoral. Well, it's the microphone here. Hello. Thank Hello. you. Let me just breathe, please. <laughs> So I want to thank you, Ms. Smith. I'm a um, performer, I'm an artist, and your work uh, often reminds me of the why of that, so thank you. And Dr. West, um, I'm also a first-year seminarian, and I was literally up at midnight to make sure I could get into your class for next semester, so <laughs> I look forward to meeting you. And I have a multiple-part question about trauma. And my question for you, Ms. Smith, is when you are in this work um, for the many years, how do you care for yourself, especially when you're preparing these performances and being in these voices all day, every day? And um, further, how, when you extend the process to a cast, do you care for the cast um, or care for each other as a cast? And further, what is your responsibility as an artist to care for the audience? Um, I'll share that I saw your piece on prisons a few years ago, and it was powerful, and it was hard. And I had to encounter videos that I had chosen not to click on or ever watch and witness in order to care for myself, and then I had to. And so my final part of the question is, it felt even harder in a predominantly white audience and under the white gaze, and do you think that there's space uh, in theater to create all black performances or Dr. West in your 
work at Union? Do you think we could get some black affinity space with you? And not to um, avoid the community or the table uh, to undo segregation in the ways that you've been discussing, but just to spend some time with this content outside of the white gates. Thank you. Well, um, in terms of, that's a very complex question. Uh, and it's a question about now and uh, before. Um, and in terms of how I take care of myself, I, I live a life when I'm performing that's away. Uh, I get to the theater at two o'clock in the afternoon for an eight o'clock show. Uh, I meditate, I, uh, I am quiet. Um, when I'm obviously also when I'm performing alone, you know, I did this whole show alone. There's a lot of material that I have to remember in addition to not knowing what will happen when I'm up here because I believe that the words will find me. You know, the words will come to me. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. So that, you know, that could be a book. But I would say that, you know, I, uh, I eat a certain way. Uh, I don't go out ever. Uh, I have to you know, take care of my voice, and, you know, I pray that I have producers who understand that, right? Uh, and a community of people who understand it. In terms of the question of affinity groups, I've actually, Drew, I think you might have something to say about that, because there is a movement in the theater right now that I think addresses that. Maybe right, so I, would, I run a platform called Broadway Black, and that is pretty much our whole mission, is to get people that normally would not feel welcome to, in the theater to come to the theater. We create uh, individual nights. We do black theater nights. We did a BIPOC theater night for this particular uh, play. Um, so we do and cultivate community engagement events specifically for that. And there are several people beyond myself, beyond Broadway Black, that are doing uh, things of that nature. There's Chichi Anyanwu. There's Marcia Pendleton. There are a lot of people that work in the theater, especially for off-Broadway and Broadway shows to create spaces for us to be able to witness things and experience things without, because it can alter the way that you view the show. It can alter your mood. It can alter uh, uh, your attention, because sometimes I look around like, why is that funny? Who, who is laughing in here? So I understand wholeheartedly. So please follow us, get with us. We send out uh, newsletters and emails about all of our community engagement events. But awesome, yeah. Um, awesome, did we address all of this? Look for you being in the class asking those kind of questions. <laughs> Very profound. Very profound. But I think the important thing is that we all have to be jazz like in our multi contextual orientation. All of us are in variety of different contexts. In some contexts, I just want my family. In other contexts, I just want black folk. Barbershop, church, a lot of other things. I mean, the church is open to white folk, but you got to be ready when you come in. <laughs> Got to be ready, but there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not segregationist in content and character. It is contextual. You've got all Catholic, all Jewish, all gay, all lesbian. All of these contexts play a very important role in our lives. We don't get stuck in them. And you try to be the same human being with integrity across the context, no matter what it is. So I look forward to the all-black context of union, and then the multiracial context, and so forth and so on. In the end, though, it's going to require multiracial solidarity to deal with the multi-layered catastrophe that we talk about. There's no way out. There has to be some kind of principled coalition of people of integrity who have to change the levels of injustice on the various levels. Well, we thank you all for being a, a, a solid audience and staying here with us and uh, witnessing this conversation. Give it up one more last time for Dr. <laughs> 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 Thank you all 
guys so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure. I'm Drew Shea, the Broadway Black. You are the one. And yeah, we've hit our mark and we've done it real good. I'm Drew Shade. I'm Ngozi Ayaun. I'm Kim Exum. And we out, y'all. I love y'all. Bye. Oh, and I also should say next time, um, we need y'all to email us. Email us your listener letters. We actually gonna be taking them, we actually gonna be reading them, we actually gonna be answering them. So email us your listener letters at offbook at broadwayblack.com. We want to hear from you. So make sure you help us out and do your job. Like Kim says, email us your listener letters, any questions or anything that you want to share or anything that you want to say on the show. We'll read them uh, off book at broadwayblack.com. Email us. Do your job. Bye. Bye. We're done. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.